Chapter 31 The Farewell Gift When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. 2 Kings 2, 9-11 This is the parting of two friends, the master and the servant, Elijah and Elisha. They journey together, they cross Jordan together, they come up to the gate of heaven together. They must separate, the one to go up to heaven, the other to remain a little longer on earth. They part, not in anger like Paul and Barnabas, but like David and Jonathan, in love. Elijah speaks first, and his love for his faithful companion shows itself in the words, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. All that he possesses, all that is in his power, he will give. But Elisha's request goes beyond what Elijah had expected, or what he could grant. You have asked a hard thing, a thing beyond my power to give, a thing which only God can give. I must refer you to him, but I am permitted to give you this sign, if you see me when I am taken from you. That is the token that God grants your request. If not, then the request cannot be granted. The sign was given. Elisha saw his master ascend. Indeed, he was allowed to obtain the mantle of his master in token of his receiving his spirit. And acknowledging this sign, he tears his own clothes into two parts, as if putting his former self aside and putting on Elijah. But the request of Elisha is a striking one. It wasn't what Elijah expected or could grant, but it was in sympathy with his own feelings, and he therefore referred it to God. It was for the Spirit, that Spirit that rested on and dwelt in Elijah, no, a double portion of that Spirit. He admired and loved his Master, and his desire was to be like him, no, to get beyond him, to rise higher, to do and say greater things than Elijah said or did. In this narrative we find in Elisha the indication of such things as the following. 1. Spiritual Sympathy He is of one mind and spirit with his master. He has been a witness of his life and doings. He sees the spirit that has pervaded all his words and deeds, not merely the spirit of power and miracles, but also of holiness, zeal, prayerfulness, and boldness. Sympathizing with all these, he longs to have the same mind, to be filled with the same spirit. How well for us if our sympathies with us, with the men in whom the Spirit of God dwells or has dwelled in ages past! Our sympathies should not be with this world, nor with the Spirit of the world, but with the world to come, and with the Spirit of it. Not with the men of the world's genius, science, or learning, not with earth's poets or philosophers, but with prophets and apostles. Whatever there is of truth and beauty in Homer, Plato, Demosthenes, Shakespeare, Bacon, Milton, Wordsworth, or Tennyson, let us accept, but let our spiritual sympathies ascend far higher. Let us realize our true oneness with Enoch, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, and Ezekiel.
our fellowship with that Holy Spirit who dwelled in them. The sympathies of this age are confessedly not with prophets and apostles. These are looked upon as fragments of obsolete antiquity and old-fashioned narrow-mindedness. Let us, however, go back to these ancient times and men, not concerned with being abreast of the age, if we be abreast of the Spirit. 2. Holy Imitativeness His desire is to be like Elijah. He wishes not merely to have the Spirit, but also your Spirit, the Spirit that dwelled in Elijah. He desired to be like him in the divine features of his character, like him in the possession of the Spirit, and in that special form in which he possessed it. That was what he sought. There is certainly only one great model, but there are subordinate ones also. Paul said, Be imitators of me, 1 Corinthians 4.16, and Hebrews 11 is a collection of models and a book of patterns, in each of which we may find something to copy. While copying Christ, then, let us not overlook the inferior models, either among the inspired men of Bible days or the uninspired honorable ones of later times. May the spirit of Elijah, Paul, and John rest on us. The spirit also of Wycliffe, Huss, Luther, Calvin, Knox, Welsh, Rutherford, Whitefield, McCheney, and Hewitson. 3. Divine Ambition Elisha was not only full of admiration for his master, he not only wished to be like him, but he also desired to go far beyond him. He asked for a double portion of his spirit. This is true ambition. This is coveting earnestly the best gifts of which Paul speaks, and in connection with which he points out the more excellent way of love, in which especially Elisha seems to have risen higher than his master, with Elisha's ministry being more one of love than Elijah's. In such things as these let us be ambitious. There is no fear of aiming too high or seeking too much. Let us not give way to the false humility that says, Oh, that we had one hundredth of what Elijah had. Let us rather, at once, with Elisha, seek to have far more. Let us seek a double portion of his spirit. This is true humility. It is desiring to be what God wishes us to be. It is honoring his fullness and his generosity. It is acknowledging the extent of blessing in reserve, reckoning on it as quite limitless and therefore not confining ourselves to what others have had before us, but going up into the divine fullness for far more than has ever yet been obtained even by the fullest. 4. Quiet Expectation He speaks and acts like one who fully expected to get what he asked for. Elijah had referred him to God for the hard thing he had asked for. It was in God's hand alone. It is not mine to give, as if anticipating the Lord's words, Matthew twenty twenty three. Elisha owns the divine sovereignty and is calm, but he realizes the divine love and expects. He believes, and therefore does not make haste, but goes quietly on beside his master to see the end. He believes, and therefore he assures himself that God is not likely to be less gracious than his master nor to deny him what Elijah would gladly give if he could. Let us believe, have faith in God, trust him for much, for he is able to do for us far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Ephesians 3.20
and five, conscious possession. He accepts the sign. He sees the prophet caught up. He seizes his mantle and returns by the way he came, conscious of having received the double portion. He believes, and therefore he speaks and acts. The sign promised has been given. Can he doubt that the thing promised is also given? He may have nothing new in feeling to corroborate it, but that doesn't matter. He has it in simple faith in the bare word of the true God. The double portion is mine, he says to himself, and he goes back to exercise his prophetic calling in the calm consciousness of possessing more than his master did. What is Jordan to him now? A stroke of the mantle divides it, and henceforth his life is to be one of mighty and gracious miracles. Let us speak and act as men who believe that God fulfills his word to us. Let us trust that word when we use it. There's more in it than in Elijah's mantle. It is living and divine. Let us not blunt or deaden it by our lack of confidence in its power.